So yes, Tony, like as you see, again, younger consumers are engaging with their food and beverage in a different way. And one of the things that they have brought to the table is this need for increased transparency, sustainability, and like just in general, a more equitable value chain, right? They really want to connect with who, like the person, the farmer, the supply chain that actually delivered those goods to them. Well, welcome everybody to Winning at Work. I, I have to just say one of the one of the things that I love about the food and beverage world that I work in, the people that I meet, they're extremely passionate about the work that they're involved in. And oftentimes you meet people who have really almost transcendental type of motives. It's, there's not, I mean, yes, we all want to make money, but it goes beyond that. You discover there are these other motives for helping and bringing other people up. And today's guest really fits that uh, so perfectly. I, I'm really uh, excited for all of you to meet David Pisa, I'd like to tell you a little bit about him. He's the vice president of global sales at West Rock Coffee and Tea. He holds an MBA from the Kellogg School of Management, and he got his Bachelor's of Science in Industrial Engineering from the University of Los Andes. Um, David, thank you so much for joining us today on Winning at Work. Tony, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. You know, you and I did speak a little bit ahead of time, as all my guests do. We don't like to do this thing completely cold. And I really meant that, what I said, because um, you really do seem to kind of capture this altruistic motives for trying to help others. You know, you grow your company, you help your company grow and expand, but at the same time, you're helping, you're adding value back into that coffee value chain and, you know, supporting those farmers. And I really just can't wait to dive into this whole topic of coffee. I mean, first of all, how many people drink coffee? I mean, do we actually know that? It's got to be billions, right? Yeah, actually, to give you an idea of the market size, the global coffee market value, it's estimated about $200 billion. So that's actually billions of dollars and billions of cups that are served Daily, I think one of the estimates that I read is that we get about like 2.5 billion cups served globally on a daily basis. Yeah, that's huge. Um, is this huge. is a, um, and that's a, one of the other reasons why I love working in the food and beverage space is that there is uh, no shortage of of growth and opportunity, and of course, it's recession proof. I mean, yes, everyone had to pivot during COVID, but people were still eating and drinking. You know, I know we've got a number of, you know, kind of topics that we want to talk about. And I know eventually we're going to get around to learning a little bit more about West Rock Coffee and your goal and, you know, your kind of company philosophy. I really do want to get into that. But why don't we start us off with a little bit more about the trends in coffee? I really don't know what they are. It's, it's fascinating to me. Could you tell us really kind of what's happening right now in this world? Sure, Tony. So actually, that's a great question to get started. I think what we're seeing today in the marketplace is just a shift towards cold, 
in general, like cold beverages as a whole. But then the reality for coffee is that you've seen like younger consumers actually more interested in an elevated coffee experience. And what is it that it's behind that? It's just driven by taste. People are willing to pay a little bit more. People are willing to experiment to actually engage in a bigger journey of flavor, if you will. So we do see a massive shift from like your old traditional hot brew coffee, black coffee that you would get really early in the morning, just a shift towards cold coffee and in particular towards cold brew coffee, right? That cold brew actually gives you a taste, give you refreshment and actually it's great just to go along with pastries, but also with meals. So then cold brew, what's creating is pretty much adapting to the shifts like in day parts where people are just consuming coffee throughout the day and different occasions as well. So this is really what we see, this massive like just transformation of the industry towards like cold brew in general, but then specifically as you've seen as well, like ready to drink coffee that has boomed over the last couple five years. And then that's really what's driving growth. Cold brew and cold coffee in general, it's driving new demand and actually it's engaging with consumers in a different way. So that's really on a lot for us. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask a really dumb question. So, um, (laughs) um, so, is coffee roasted at all differently for either hot or cold, or is it all the same regardless? Tony, actually, I think you're asking a brilliant question, <laughs> to be honest with you. Wow. Did you hear that, folks? <laughs> yes, Tony, you're spot on. Because, yes, when you extract coffee, normally with hot water, that actually yields certain type of taste. But then... When you're actually cold brewing coffee, means that you're steeping beans pretty much over 12 or more hours, you get a different type of taste. Hence, you cannot expect that the same coffee that was intended to be actually hot brew will just work as fine for a cold brew application. You have to normally tweak the grind size, so the particles, so they actually release their flavor over this extended period of time that they're in contact with water. And then also, of course, the roasting has to be differently. So you maximize that. And as a matter of fact, with the Specialty Coffee Association of America, now called the SCA, which is the Global Specialty Coffee, much work has been done over the last 25 years. But it's around like the sensory science and just learning about the lexicon, vocabulary, and attributes that you would find in a hot brew cup, right? But then... We in our company have done like some work with, uh, you know, some different universities in North Carolina to just engage and explore more on the taste possibilities or the taste that you actually can like release or unlock by cold brewing beans. So you're spot on, Tony. That's a great question. And that actually takes a different type of roasting and mostly a different type of uh, grind size. Well, I have had cold brewed coffee and I, I remember my one of my former business partners, he at the time was living up in Hoboken, New Jersey. So I would I'd go up and visit him and we'd go through New York City and kind of hit all the hot spots. And at the time there was a, a spot, I think it was called like Blue Bottle. I don't know if you've I'm not sure if you've heard of that. It's kind of like a trendy place in New York and out in California, but it's like a twenty-four hour you know, drip for this coffee, right? 
And when you drink it or when you're even smelling it, it was so strong. It reminded me almost of alcohol, you know, that really, really sharp, um, I don't know, acidity. I don't know. There was something just amazing about it. And I'll never forget that experience. That's amazing because that's exactly what specialty coffee should be all about. And actually, for that matter, all coffee should be excellent. Something that you enjoy not only with your mouth, but with like all your senses. And something as well that when you are like exposed to, that you can clearly tell that you're facing something special, something unique. And then that taste can actually connect you with the people behind the bean, with the full story, with the supply chain, with the work that goes into that cup. So that's the beauty of coffee. And I'm really great. I'm like happily surprised to hear this story of yours. Like, honestly, Blue Bottle, they do such a great work. They're an amazing company. I used to actually sell beans to them before in my previous company. Okay. So we're on to something. And uh, one of my other guests, Sarah Mater. She was describing this new trend for people, you know, in farming and people who are really interested in organic and green. They want to know exactly the story of the food. And you just touched on that. Um, And I know that's one of the other trends that you're noticing. They want to know more about where their food is coming from. So what are the trends that are driving that in coffee? So, yes, Tony, like, as you see, again, younger consumers are engaging with their food and beverage in a different way. And one of the things that they have brought to the table is this need for increased transparency, sustainability, and like just in general, a more equitable value chain, right? They really want to connect with who, like the person, the farmer, the supply chain that actually deliver those goods to them. So that's one piece. But then also what we have now, it's amazing technology that allows us just to do exactly what you're, what you're just describing. So yes, that big trend on like increased awareness and increased expectations overall from the younger consumers for transparency, traceability, and an authentic story that connects them with the origin of their food and beverage actually can now be leveraged with digital traceability, meaning that there is technology that allows us to connect like supply chains end to end. So one of the ways, as you just described, is actually you get with your phone, you scan a QR code, and that QR code can actually just give you a full journey of the bean from the farm in the middle of Colombia, in the middle of the Andes, all the way through America, all the way how it was like processed, the uh, prices that were uh, paid to farmers, just that kind of thing. So when people also pay a premium for a premium product, right, they also know that that's impacting everyone through the value chain, generating prosperity for everyone that has touched that. So, But also you want to do that in a very efficient way because the traditional coffee supply chain, it's just like any other commodity supply chain, like, really actually characterized but not transpar- but but not being very transparent that's actually what makes a commodity a commodity itself but then what we're doing is just flipping that by leveraging technology just pretty much tracing the full journey of the bean and just bringing light through the value chain and that light actually reflects the change that that one cup can generate in the life of the farmers while also 
the joy that it sparks in the consumer and the health benefits that you can get from a high quality product. That it's food safe and that it's fully traceable and that actually does good to your body as well. So that's really what we're aiming here. You know, when consumers connect that their dollars are going to benefit, in this case, a farmer and, you know, farmers in in other countries, you would imagine, you know, would not make as much maybe as, you know, a worker in the United States, for example, you might drive more sales. You might be able to, you know, get a higher price point because they see that this dollar, this extra dollar they're paying is going all the way down to impact them. And let's face it, you know, if, if you're not supporting the people you want to support, they go away. That is correct, Tony. And honestly, that's certainly been the historic case for specialty coffee over the last 20 years. But now as that trend actually becomes mainstream, people like us in the industry, as you might recall, we're the largest private label roaster, custom roaster in the United States serving the food industry. Then what really what we're doing is we're just trying to optimize every level of the supply chain so we can actually do exactly that at a very cost competitive like way. So what I'm saying is, yes, people want to pay a premium, but at the same time, now as you want to actually give more people access to those kind of products, you need to really be as efficient as you can, be as productive as you can, so you actually maximize value throughout the supply chain, but also are able to compete in the marketplace with an amazing tasting product that's actually fairly reasonably priced. It's interesting. It sounds like you are living in two worlds. It sounds like on the one hand, you totally understand the journey of the farmer, given your background from Colombia, right? And that's where a lot of coffee is sourced. I understand you've worked a lot with farmers and you understand what they go through and the process. And then on the other hand, you're dealing with you know, capitalism and supply chain, understanding how to get that product as quickly, as cost-effectively through the supply chain to as many consumers as possible, right? In other words, you may have a specialty coffee, but if only a very small, narrow segment of the population has access to it, it's harder to benefit that farmer. If you could expand that reach, right, then that farmer or many, many more farmers can be impacted in a positive way. Tony, I think you just said it beautifully. That's really what we have set out to do as a company. That's the reason of why we exist. And that's also the journey that I've done myself. I had the pleasure, as you mentioned, like being born and raised in Colombia. Then I started in the coffee industry back in Colombia. And I have worked with farmers, with cooperatives, with exporters, and now here in the U.S. as well with importers and roasting partners. And now I see and have this role of like BP of global expansion and global sales that, that actually that puts me into a consumer-facing type of role. But then my objective is exactly just what you described, growing the pie, expanding the coffee market so we can all benefit and so we can also at the same time impact more and more farmers throughout the world. There's estimates that actually call for like about 25 million people growing coffee. 
That's 25 million families, right, that depend on that. And also, you must remember as well that the economic benefit of any given supply chain goes well beyond that product, meaning you have people transporting the coffee, people drying the coffee, people moving the coffee, just people shipping, doing all of those things, the allied products that go along that one particular value chain. So then you can actually just expand the potential of your impact. And that's really what we want to do. That's what we have set out to do at Westrock, and we're super happy and proud to do that. As I've mentioned to you before, we work with some of the, the most iconic global brands like McDonald's, Dunkin', Walmart, Amazon. And really, we take a lot of pride in supporting their plans, their ambitions, right? So we can see how actually they have an impact in the marketplace and how can they also have a great impact on their supply chains. That's what we're here for, to connect, to make those bridges. And yes, that's my role specifically. So I'm very happy to serve that role because that gives me the energy, the passion, and just the drive to continue doing what I do. Yeah. Like I said at the top, people in this industry that do well are passionate and they put a lot of, of their life and their, their time and energy into being successful and they don't watch the clock. They, they just do the work that needs to be done. And I really get that vibe off of you. Um, I, I'm curious though, what are some of the challenges of expanding the reach of the specialty coffee to other distribution channels or other markets where maybe you do not exist? Oof, there's plenty, but actually let's start with <laughs> some of the most simple ones. Uh, the one that you just described, it's not always easy to convene the fact that people do have to pay a little bit more to get a fully traceable, high quality product in their hands. So when you go out and actually just, you know, shared that story with different customers, some of them would immediately get it and like actually engage and they want to be part of that success story. They want to drive impact and they want to create change. Then there are some others that actually are more, let's say, price sensitive and they might not see the overall value that there's behind that one cup. So let me actually give you one particular example because that was my journey and prior to the sales roles that I have, I've also had a vast experience working as a sustainability professional. And normally, like we interact with different, let's say, stakeholders and particular people within our customers' organizations. So when you go and talk to the traditional category buyer, of course, the person's highly sensitive about cost and they see the price or the value of your product as a cost. Then when you actually engage and talk to the sustainability team, they all they see and what they're normally thinking is about impact. How many farmers, how many people are you impacting? What kind of like improvements are you just driving? You know, yield, quality, performance, education, environmental compliance, all that. And then finally, when you actually get to talk to the marketing departments, where, which is honestly a part that I truly enjoy the most, is when you actually start talking about value, consumer value, and just these consumer-facing stories where people can put a face and a name to the cup or the bag of coffee that they're buying from your retail location. And that's the beauty of it. And as I told you, now we do have the technology to support those connections, to create those stories and make them meaningful and real. 
Yeah, it sounds like you just have to narrow in on the right buyer. And it's true when you're dealing with any company that you're trying to sell to, some of the people are just so focused on price that they're not seeing the full value picture. And when you get to marketing, when you find those people, sounds like those are the people that are a little more open-minded. They see that they can tell a story. And if you can tell a good story and it has a you know, impact behind it, they think they can drive, you know, potentially more revenue, but you're right. Just a, a category manager, you know, they're just weighing, well, this is, here's a coffee bean from Columbia that I can get for less, you know, <laughs> why would I switch? So it's, I can imagine that is uh, your challenge is just to get in front of the right people that, you know, share your heart, you know, in, in your vision. You are correct, but we've started this journey back in 2012 when we really set very aggressive uh, goals, you know, from a sustainability and ESG compliance perspective. And then along that journey, we had had more and more customers coming to us on board that's joined us in that journey to a greater cost, right? So then also we've seen how our, like, customers are actually making an impact in the marketplace because, again, the younger consumers are expecting more from those brands. And they want those brands to actually be good stewards. And they want those brands to actually lead by example and transform their supply chains. So, honestly, that's why we take so much pride in working with great, like, literally great partners like McDonald's. I cannot tell you enough about how amazing they are and how truly committed they are. Then we also have amazing, like our customer base has just engaging us more and more and more. And they're coming to us because like, this is what the consumer is demanding. And this is what we see actually that's going to happen within the next three to five years, more and more people coming to us for that. So meaning I think people want more than coffee. You see, you want just more than a beverage that gets you going in the morning. You want an experience you want something good for your health. You want something refreshing. But then at the same time, you want something that can make an impact in the life of the people behind it. And that's the beauty of what's happening right now in the marketplace. Like younger consumers are driving this shift on demand towards this type of goods. And that's going to be great for all of us. You mentioned earlier that you've got the traditional supply chain and then you have this transformative supply chain, right? That's from origin to market. Um, is there anything else that's really kind of disrupting or, you know, maybe had the biggest environmental impact on the supply chain? So from an economic perspective, actually what you're trying to do here, we are vertically integrated. So we're very fortunate. Actually, we have operations at origin in Eastern Africa, we have folks on the ground throughout Latin America. We have very, we're intricately involved in every step of the bean from origin just to delivery, right? So that's one thing. But also from, a, from an environmental perspective, when people ask me, what's specialty coffee, right? And of course, I think of you and I have discussed one part of that answer, which is a high quality product that even without you knowing anything or being like a sommelier or like a professional coffee taster or anything like that, you can just taste the difference. So you can start with that, a product that has an outstanding taste, flavor, right? We are in the business of flavor. But then on the flip side, 
uh, a specialty coffee or a sustainable coffee. It's actually a product that has grown, doing no harm to the environment where it grew, and also doing actually and respecting, doing good and respecting the people that produce it. So that's really what you see on the environment. Actually, and maybe some of your other guests have talked to you about that, which is regenerative agriculture, right? So when you actually put a crop that helps nature to thrive, if you put it in the right place, if you grow it with the right, like agronomical practices, right? That's the one thing. So actually food production can be a driver of good, like just actually environmental stewardship. And then also that can drive and provide economic opportunities for the people producing it. So that's really what you want. So on the, on like, on the production end, that's what you see as the biggest environmental impact that you have when you've grown sustainably, like when you've grown a sustainably produced coffee, you're actually guaranteeing that you're not throwing forests right, that you're actually contributing to preserve forest in those communities, to preserve water, to preserve just the soil and different aspects of the environment that actually help that community and that like particular location to thrive. I'm, I'm curious because, you know, here in the States, we'll hear about, you know, really bad weather and that'll affect, uh, you know, the orange crop or something to that effect. Um, when it comes to, to coffee, what are the, the biggest environmental impacts that affect the growers and you know, negatively? Whew, that's a big, big question. And I'm an engineer. <laughs> that's my background. But I'm not a food, uh, like a climate change expert. So I'm going to just try to take my... Best I just, you know, it's just a curi- you know, it's just a curiosity that I have. I oh, mean, I'm talking what? to a, a coffee expert, and I, I know there's people listening that, you know, probably kind of wish I would ask other questions. So, I'm just, uh, no, but, you let know, me take a stab at that. Uh, actually, yeah, give I do try. know some of the answers without like actually going into it, like weeds, you know, from like a scientific perspective. Correct. But correct. Let, let me give you one very simple example, Tony. It's pretty clear and straightforward. With rising temperatures, you know, coffee is actually grown in mountains, right? With yes, rising I actually temperatures, knew that. Actually, coffee has to move up, up, and up. So going to higher altitudes, right? When you actually grow coffee in higher altitude, that means there's actually less area where you can grow coffee. Meaning the hotter it is for like the planet then the harder it becomes to produce high quality coffee, meaning that you actually have literally less area where you can grow coffee. That's one example. Another example, erratic uh, rain patterns. That's super, super challenging because coffee and like any other plant would need water in certain times of the year. If you get too much water or too little water, actually your yield is going to be highly affected. So, as you might have heard, or like other people might have told you, like right now, like Brazil is going through a lot of uh, challenges with the climate change. One of those, it's actually that like drought that drives or that impacts the amount of coffee that they can produce. Hence, producing a shortage, which is then rising the overall coffee prices globally. So you follow, so actually climate change risk is huge 
for the overall business of coffee. And that's impacting not only the farmers, but everyone in the value chain. And hopefully that made sense and I'm being clear. Uh, you know, you're being crystal clear. And when you're selling specialty coffee, which you're you know paying a premium for, when you you know add in the fact that if you're having to move higher up on the mountain and there's less space or there's you know as you said a, a drought that would affect it that just drives the price even higher and at some point you know it just becomes too much for a simple cup of coffee well let's so let's kind of move into the the technology because that was an area that i know you said was really disrupting the food industry, both on the supply chain and from the consumer side. Was there anything else that we need to understand that's happening in the digital, you know, kind of supply chain world? Totally. I think there's two big trends that you want to make sure uh, that you cover. The first one's like digital supply chains. As we, as we touch on just having digital traceability all the way to the origin or, and just to understand where how and when your food was brewed, it's really important. As you might be aware, IBM has a food trust blockchain technology, which is amazing. We work with that. Then we also have um, worked with Oracle NetSuite. And then on top of that, we have created our own technological tools that just allow us to connect every single step from the harvest, exporting, importing, roasting, packaging, and then all the way to delivery in a fully traceable way. So you really want to get, like just provide insights to the brands into what really was, like what's behind their supply chain. So that's one piece. And that actually should drive more value for both the brand, the consumer, and then the producer. That's really key. But then on the flip side, and you might have had other guests with way more expertise than I on uh, digital marketing. Digital marketing right now, it's all about creating this very personalized, very intimate relationship with your customer before they come to your store, while they're at your store consuming your food and like, you know, beverages and services overall, then after they leave. So like digital marketing now gives you a way to interact, to exchange, and to provide this holistic journey and literally just be, I mean, make your customer part of like an embedded, like let's say augmented experience. And that's really what you want. Yeah, I wonder when you bring the consumer so close to the brand, I imagine you get a lot of feedback. How difficult is it to make changes in flavor based on all this new information you're getting out of digital marketing? Is that a, a long kind of slow process or can you just kind of keep roasting the beans the same way and then just change the flavor, you know, at the consumer side by just adding literally flavor to the coffee? Huh. That's a great question. And I think you see a little bit of everything in the spectrum. And for instance, let's take um, actually ready to drink coffee, for instance, right? Before, let's say, used to be driven by frappuccinos, right? Like, you know, just coffee with a lot of dairy and sugar. Now, fast forward 10 years into that category, and you see nowadays specialty coffee roasters and actually great retailers 
like, uh, you know, brands like Stoke or Chameleon. They're amazing brands where you can have a truly high quality copper product in your hands that actually has an elevated taste, but it's not coming from sugar or actually dairy, but more so from the taste of the coffee that was pretty much produced, roasted, and extracted in a way that yielded a unique flavor. So yes, we do see that desire to innovate. So as I mentioned before, we are in the business of taste, right? When like food and beverage executives like gather and think about ideas, we're really trying just to bring this new taste, new flavor that people want more of. But then also you, on the other hand, you see companies like Dunkin' that actually has successfully rolled out many flavor-driven beverages, right? You have a high-quality product, let's say coffee or tea, and then on top of that, you add literally just flavor that maximizes that experience and that might just give kind of like that comforting, like sweet, like nice indulgent flavor that the consumer may want at any given point of the day. So it's a little bit of both. You know, like you can go to like being, let's say, very like a purist, if you will, and just be actually super coffee forward focused, just the taste of it, black, and just getting all those nuances that you get from the process on how you produce it. Or then on the other hand, you can just add additives and actually deliver a pretty nice beverage. As a matter of fact, you will see now actually like just people in the spiritual playing with cold brew like doing Jaggermeister with cold brew coffee, doing whiskey with cold brew coffee, or actually the other way around. You, I've seen now coffees that have been aged in brown barrels, that have been aged in whiskey barrels to actually, again, just yield different tastes once you roast them and package them, right? So you see like this cross-pollination in this larger ecosystem of innovation about taste and what it means for the current consumer. Just listening to you, I imagine you need to be on one of those. I, I guess this was like a show I saw long ago where they they were trying to find like the best barista. Do you know what I'm talking about? And yes, I do. That's why I'm laughing. <laughs> I could see you as one of the guests there. And I watched this program and I was literally fascinated by all this coffee forward, just the the total nuanced experience of giving someone this, you know, amazing cup of coffee, but having a really cool conversation with them at the same time. And the barista had to do all these things and create this brand new product, if you will, and serve their guest. You know, maybe we should add that to your list of accomplishments because I, I forgot to mention that you were on the uh, that you were a board member for the Specialty Coffee Association, so I apologize, but maybe we need to add, you know, uh, coffee. Tony, yeah, the Specialty Coffee Association through the World Coffee Events actually host the World Barista Championships. So you're you do on. host it. Yes. Oh my gosh, I am two for two. Yes, yes, you are right. I'm, I'm batting a thousand here with my uh, random comments. <laughs> yes, and I'll be happy to actually share the link. So you see a little bit more of that, but there's the World Barista Championship. There's the World and Coffee Spirits Championship. There's the World Cup Tasters Championship. Like, it's amazing what you see. Where's the, there's the World Latte Art Championship, where you see 
people doing amazing, beautiful figures in their cappuccinos or their lattes. That's really fantastic. But then as you pointed out, like the barista, they actually, they, they are a key part of our community and they are, they play definitely a super important role in our community because they are the last person that touches the coffee before actually delivering to the end consumer. So what I'm saying, as I've explained you here multiple times now, the journey of the bean is super long. And it actually, again, think of it, a bean that was grown in Kenya or in Rwanda or Ethiopia that makes it all the way here. And then you carefully roast it, package it, then deliver it. And then once the barista has it, they actually pretty much have the responsibility and duty to transform that into an amazing cup of coffee for you. So they are actually our representatives. They can speak for all of us behind that cup. So they do have a great responsibility giving you that, but also teaching you, educating the consumer into what goes way beyond that one cup that you're drinking. So yeah, it's amazing. And that's why we focus on them. We work with them. We're super happy to host them. The U.S., uh, like Barista Championship, it's an amazing competition. It's fun to watch. You see a great, uh, a lot of talented people just coming up with amazing beverages. You have got to give me the links because I am going to absolutely share that. It's if you've not seen this competition, you got to find it. When, when, do you know when this happens? Like what part of the what time of the year? Yes. Normally it would happen uh, in different parts of the year, but uh, I'll share with you a calendar for the regional competitions. But right now, for instance, some of the World Coffee Championships are going to be hosted in Taiwan, actually in October. And the World Barista Championship is set to take place as well in Australia. So that had to be delayed because of COVID, but uh, the competition will take place soon. I'll give you exact dates later. But it is fascinating and it's amazing when you see barista champions for from both producing nations and consumer markets, and uh, that's fascinating. You just see the passion, the desire, the like, just to experiment, to innovate, and bring that to the people. It's it's amazing. Some industries they are dealing with. Maybe a lot of industries are dealing with an aging population. Uh, their workforce is aging, right? And their their organizations are faced with. You know, how do we train and develop our staff, bring them up? And what I'm talking about is uh, succession planning. And you and I had talked a little bit about this ahead of time. Um, We always have a little discussion about talent on the podcast. And this was an area that really lit a fire in you, this whole idea of succession planning. And I, I love to kind of get your opinion as we kind of shift a little bit away from coffee into talent into how how does a company even begin to organize themselves to go through some succession planning it's a great question i think you would have to start with a very honest inward looking type of exercise just assessing where you are in that journey assessing where your leadership team is right now and where you want it to go. So it's just doing that exercise. Of course, the leadership team, the HR department, like everyone, just going through that self-reflection process. But then also, I think it's acknowledging the skills that you currently have and the ones that you currently don't have and would like to have in order to be in the right position 
to actually just be in the driver's seat and have an impact in the marketplace. Meaning we see there are just changing demands from our customer base and from the end consumers. Hence, how can you really prepare a great team that help you achieve the goal and be successful throughout time, sustainably, if you will. So one of the aspects or the things that I personally think are very important, first thing, it's like we are really looking for committed attitudes, meaning, as you know, we, are in a, a ve- we have a very mission-driven company, right? We're here not only to make money, but actually to have an impact in the world to change the lives of everyone behind the being, right? So like, we really need people to get it in the sense that they need to care. They need to see that we can make an impact, that we can transform. Hence, they really need to care about the quality of the product. They really need to care about the relationships that we build both with our supplying and farmer partners and also with our customers, with our co-manufacturers, with the entire ecosystem that we interact with because we're here in the long run and we're here pretty much to win, but to create a win that's a win-win for all of us. That's one thing. Then also, as I just pointed out, you have to have that desire or that drive to make an impact. I, I think that's the beauty of it. To be honest with you, uh, Tony, I started in the coffee industry 15 years ago, back in my country, in a very, very tiny startup, and we were just trying to roast coffee to do exactly that. Fast forward 15 years, now I'm in this position as the global vice president of sales, and what I'm trying to do, it's exactly just that, but with a larger platform on a larger scale. So that's the beauty of it. Like what I'm saying, at least I feel extremely fortunate and blessed to be in a position to drive more impact, but actually bring in more business, more business that creates more value for our company, for its shareholders, for its partners, and for the one and a half million partners that we impact in 35 countries. That's really what we're here to do. And then also, you must have a team attitude. Because as many of the people that you have interviewed, that not all of us have the privilege, let's say, to be consumer-facing or just to work in B2C companies or like directly on a brand where you have that kind of intimate relationship with the buyer, right? With the consumer, with the people buying and paying for your product. Many of us are in the B2B business, right? So we actually are just behind the curtains doing a lot of work, doing a lot of change, doing a lot of effort to have an impact. So having that team attitude means that we actually want people that takes pride in like just having our customers and their brands to succeed in the marketplace. People that take pride as well in having our farmers progress, actually prosper, have like more better lives where they can educate their children and where they can live actually in, you know, in a good relationship with the environment. So that team effort means that actually we just win when our partners win. We, we are measure, we measure our success, but the relative success of our business partners all around. Yeah. I like that. That's a little bit different. That's, that's defining success, not just through what you've accomplished as an individual, but what the value chain 
is deriving from increased sales. So that it all, these all kind of flow together. I imagine it's very difficult, you know, when you're trying to hire people to determine, you know, do they have these skills and those traits? It, it's not easy, you know, you, especially if you're only spending a few hours with these people. I, I also assume if you're doing succession planning that you're working with people on the inside of the company that you already know who are known commodities and you can bring them along, that's the, the, the surest way to get exactly what you want. Yeah, I think you're just touching on a point there that it's kind of like the underlying, one of the underlying driving forces of us as a company, but also of the coffee industry, which is resilience. As we've heard, we face a lot of challenges, climate change, currency fluctuations, like, you know, just international coffee prices, like all of those type of things, many of them actually you cannot control, but you kind of have to. And most certainly, like you will have setbacks along this journey and farmers and business partners have also had setbacks. And then we're there pretty much just to continue doing it, to continue to stand up when needed. So having that ability to adjust, adapt, and just like the resilience to keep standing up in the face of adversity and making sure and just having the clarity that you will get there, that you will survive, that we can turn the page, actually that makes a huge difference. And I think that has proven to be true because over the last year, you know, amid COVID and all that, we've been extremely successful in adapting and changing our business and making us ourselves resilient enough and adaptable enough to just be able to continue to support our customers through, you know, like the closures and the restrictions and all that. But now as we see that we're coming out of COVID, we are in a great position to support our customers. And now they're revamped plans for expansion, like they're ambitious to continue to grow them, like to grow the marketplace, to continue to grow the coffee category. Like that's really fascinating. So that resilience and that truly are making them win and just you sticking to that, to like just you know, that greed, that just gut feel of, okay, we got to do it and we will continue to do it. It's fascinating. And that's certainly something uh, that our leadership team has. And I've been very fortunate just to see that and experience that firsthand. It's very motivating to work around people with that kind of resilience and that grit. It's a attitude of, you know, we really don't have any excuses. You know, you, you brought up a lot of very valid external forces that you just can't control. And you didn't even mention, you know, political unrest. There's all kinds of forces, you know, that are affecting agriculture and, you know, how you deliver your product. Well, you've, you've touched on this growth that the farmers want to go through. You've touched on the growth of West Rock, but I don't know that everybody really knows much about about West Rock, I, I, I've, I've learned about it just because of our interactions and I've done some research. But for those people who might just be hearing about West Rock for the first time, tell us a little bit more about the company. I think we've gotten a pretty good feel for the culture, but tell us more about the, the business itself. Sure. Many of you have not heard of our company because, as just mentioned, we are the people behind the brands. 
We're extremely pleased and proud to work with some of the these iconic global brands like the McDonald's and the ones that I mentioned to you before, Dunkin', Circle K, Amazon, Wendy's, and many more other. And um, yes, we are a company located out of uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. We have manufacturing facilities as well in North Carolina. Uh, we have operations at origin, as I mentioned to you, in Western Africa, and sorry, in Eastern Africa and in South America as well. And then now we are creating our very own manufacturing facility in Malaysia to actually support our expansion into the Asia-Pacific mar market and support those frontier growing markets. So we're targeting new consumers, new occasions, new people, new cultures that actually want more of what we can do for them, which is delivering this great cup of coffee, tea, and just in general beverage solutions that can actually, uh, you know, make an impact and make a difference. So, yes, we're a great organization. Um, our leadership team sits here, as I told you. And, uh, yeah, the heart of the company actually is in Rwanda. That's where everything started when Scott Forer, our current CEO and president, actually visited back uh, 13 years ago. When he went and visited, he met with the people. And then he's like, wow, what can I really do? just to help these people to do something different. Next thing he knew, he was actually just in the middle of the coffee chain, like buying coffee, selling coffee, dealing with roasters. But then really quickly, and he's a pretty bright person, he quickly realized that he needed to add value, that he needed to go beyond just being um, in the middle of the commodity exchange, if you will, just trading a raw material. Then he took on the like actually in the roasting and in the single serve uh, packaging. So we do uh, single serve capsules. We are one of the main players in that space here in North America as well. And um, that generated a breakthrough, meaning that as we knew or we learned how to add more value to the product, then we could see how that would actually drive more value throughout the value chain and ultimately benefit those producers that he met with 13 years ago in the middle of Rwanda. Isn't that amazing how just being inspired by the people around you, it turned into a, well, I don't know the size of your company. I was going to say a, a billion dollar company, but just a, a global organization. That's, that's fascinating how it had such small beginnings. Yep. And uh, you're right. And uh, actually we have very ambitious plans going forward. We're excited. We are expanding in the Middle East, in the, you know, again, just, meeting different cultures, different needs, different consumers that still want to actually have a great cup of coffee. But also, most importantly, we're implementing a strategy which is traveling with our customers. We want to support our customers, whatever they are. We want to provide them a great, you know, if they have a, a winning breakfast program, we want to make sure that they can deploy that whatever they are, meaning Malaysia, meaning Vietnam, Singapore, the why or the Middle East, we're going to be there with them. And we're doing that already. And it's really exciting to see how can we help our customers grow and reach new audiences, reach new, reach new market segments. It's obviously with your business into food service and into uh, retail through the, well, I should say through restaurants. If, if a consumer was in the grocery store and they wanted to, to buy a product, of West Rock, how we, can they find something in a grocery store that has got your name behind it? 
Actually, yes, in some of the stores uh, here in, uh, locally, Kroger, yes, you can find us there. And then also you can find us on Amazon with our Inner Circle brand. We do capsules that you can buy actually on Amazon as well. But yeah, or you can just go directly to our website and order from us. You can order a great pound of coffee uh, directly online. Oh, great, great. Well, well, we'll put all the links in there. Well, before we go, David, is there any pressing hiring need that your company has? This might be a good opportunity for you just to put it out there for everyone to hear. Is there something now that your company is searching for and maybe someone listening would like to send a resume over to you directly? Wow. That's actually a great question, and we have plenty. And I'm going to actually share the link so they can just look through all of them. Uh, yes, Too many I, just to bring out one, yeah? Actually, yes. I, I would be not fair if I just call out one in a specific, but uh, it's actually <laughs> easier just to, for me to give you a link and see all the positions that we're hiring. And if someone is just passionate and wants to know more about coffee and tea, what's behind it, if someone wants to get connected with any, like even coffee professional or with the association itself, with the Specialty Coffee Association, I would be super happy to, yeah, to facilitate an introduction. That's been the story of my career. I started as an intern uh, at the SCA back in 2009. Fast forward, now I'm a board member. But the desire there is just for me personally to give back. And the association, but more so than the association itself, is just the global coffee community has given me so much. I've had, had great career opportunities, great knowledge opportunities. I always have a person to meet wherever I go, literally, to meet and have a cup of coffee, to interact, to create new relationships, new friendships, to foster bridges. Wherever I go, that then now that I'm uh, on the board and I continue to do this, I would just literally love to do that for anyone. And uh, I get to do that uh, fairly often. And that's definitely one of the things that gives me more joy. And just it, it's a way for me to give back, honestly. Well, I hope everyone here does go to your website. They order some coffee. And the next time you're out at one of those, you know, iconic brands having having a great cup of of forward coffee is that what is that how you call it forward coffee forward <laughs> when you're having a coffee forward experience i want you to think back and remember about west rock coffee and tea company david thank you so much for joining us here today on winning at work i know for me i've i've learned an awful lot about this uh, value chain Tony, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. I, yeah, it's been truly a great experience uh, sharing more of what we do and the passion that we have to just yeah, make everyone win and have an impact, a meaningful impact in the life of everyone in the value chain. Well, we're going to have you back on again, and we're going to get an update, and we're going to see how the Asia expansion project is going. Give me a year, and I'll be glad to <laughs> present you a report on that. <laughs> we'll do it. We'll do it. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.